Blog Talk Radio. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It's kind of unusual for me to say happy Thursdays because usually I do this program Friday evenings, but I do have a scheduling conflict tomorrow on November the 9th. So here I am, November the 8th. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, bear with me. That's the reason for the change in scheduling. I really wanted to do this show rather than uh, call in sick or, or on leave or whatever it is that I would call in on. There is so much going on, and I'm eager to share my perspectives with you because I have such great concerns as to the direction that our great country is going uh, in large measure because of the media, news media, and in large measure because of both political parties. Uh, we're living in a perilous era, and I'm not trying to be the guy sounding the alarms and gloom and doom and all that other business. But we do live in a dangerous world, and we do have many adversaries. And a country's first and last line of defense are its borders. But you would never know it to listen to the mainstream media and to listen to all too many politicians and then go beyond the words and look at the actions or lack of actions by the leadership of both the Democratic and Republican parties. And and these are the issues that I really want to address today. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with the program, you know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the old INS, an agency that was largely disbanded, sliced, diced, chopped up, pureed, and put into a, a conglomerate agency known as DHS which I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. And in fact, I feel so strongly about how for decades our country has failed to secure its borders, enforce its laws, uh, leave the door literally figuratively open to criminals, terrorists, uh, and folks who would take the jobs that Americans desperately need to be able to support themselves and their families, that I wrote a major article for a quarterly publication that I've been writing for for many years, The Social Contract. The name of my article, appropriately enough, Sanctuary Country, Immigration Failures by Design. And if you look at the announcement for my program on Blog Talk, you can see the link to my article over at The Social Contract. And in fact, the editors of The Social Contract, the publisher, got so taken by the theme of my article that the theme for the entire edition became Sanctuary Nation. So understand that it's not that America is incapable of securing its borders. It's not that America is incapable of enforcing its laws. It's that America lacks the will because the immigration system, which should be in part a law enforcement system, instead has focused on being a delivery system. And what does it deliver? I'm glad you asked. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor, and not just the illegal aliens who are terribly exploited and made to work under dangerous conditions, often hellish conditions, but it's also the high-tech workers because of the H-1B visa program that defrauds Americans out of their jobs. How many times have we heard the lie? Well, Americans just can't do the work. We're too stupid. No, what's stupid is anybody who would fall for that lie. We have heard case after case after case ad nauseum about Americans having to train their replacements from India. These are Americans who have been doing high-tech jobs for years, in some cases decades, acquiring the experience, acquiring the education, doing their jobs extremely well. At Disney, many of their workers got the highest possible evaluations days before they were fired and ordered to train their replacements. Think about it. But we hear the lie, and we're hearing it from the left, and we're hearing it from the right. Americans are too stupid. Americans can't do the work. Americans are too lazy. We need to bring in the world's best and brightest for America to lead. 
It's a knife in the back for every American worker and every American worker's family. It's not that we lack the talent, and it's not that we lack the personnel. We lack moral leadership in Washington, and we lack moral leadership in city halls and capital, state capitals around the United States. Sanctuary cities, case in point. And if you listen to the news media, God help you, if you don't need a barf bag, then you come to understand that they are nothing more than outlets for propaganda. That's what this nation has turned to. The First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, the right to peaceable assemblage uh, is essential to a democratic process. The American people need to be able to speak to one another. But, of course, when you flood America with people who speak umpteen different languages, we've created in America a true Tower of Babel. And the pollsters and the news media do nothing more than help to exaggerate and exacerbate the differences that we face. You know, the nonsense, the, not, the garbage, the lies, the Latino voter, the black voter, the Jewish voter, the Christian voter. But folks, as Americans, we have shared common concerns and goals and dreams. Number one, and I don't care your leanings politically, and I don't care the color of your skin or how you worship or don't worship. We expect of our government a military that keeps our enemies as far from our shores as possible. We expect from law enforcement that they will keep our streets as safe as possible. And we expect from our schools that our schools will educate our kids so that any American, irrespective of what I have come to call the insignificant factors, the superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American willing to study hard, work hard, and benefit from a little bit of good old-fashioned luck can write the next great American success story. What in the world does that have to do with being a Latino voter? Do you really think that Americans of Latino ethnicity are thrilled that their kids are going to wind up going to school with gang members? How thrilling. I hope my kid gets to go to school with MS-13 members. Maybe they will invite him to join. Really? But you see, it's not just about Latino criminals because human nature is human nature. And as an immigration agent, I've arrested criminals from all over the world. It doesn't matter about skin color or ethnicity. Human nature is human nature, and we all bleed red. So we hear this divisive garbage, and every time there's an election, the pollsters go on TV with their magic markers and all of their nonsense about Latinos and blacks and this one and that one. We're Americans. We're Americans. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. But of course, what we're witnessing, in my judgment, is a divide and conquer strategy. Bring in lots of people who don't speak the language, turn one American against another American, and then it's easy for us to be steered off the cliff, which is where we're headed. You know, the Democrats have completely lost their minds and their followers more so. We're going to eliminate ICE, immigration and customs enforcement. These are haters. Listen, the people who enforce and administer the immigration laws admit a million lawful immigrants every year. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity. The United States is the most ethnically diverse country, I would argue, on the planet. Our immigration laws have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, the grounds for excluding aliens, it's not about race, religion, or ethnicity. It's aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens with mental illness, aliens who are criminals, murderers, human traffickers, drug smugglers, war criminals, spies, terrorists, fugitives from justice, prior deportees, aliens who have committed fraud to the, the immigration system, whether it's visa fraud, immigration benefit fraud. And then we get to aliens who are likely to become a public charge, go on welfare, or aliens who are um, likely to take the jobs of Americans. That's who we exclude. Unless, of course, they're coming with, with green cards. So the idea is to protect American lives, American jobs, and national security. That's what our immigration laws are about. The second largest contingent of law enforcement officers who are assigned to the joint terrorist may not know this, may be surprised, but they're immigration law enforcement officers because foreign terrorists all violate our immigration laws to enter the United States and to remain here so they can carry out deadly attacks or support deadly attacks. Why on earth 
would any politician want to impede that vital work? And then we hear this nonsense. Well, we're going to help the job situation. How do you help the job situation for Americans when you admit more foreign workers than the number of new jobs you're creating? How do you protect America when you encourage illegal aliens, and among them are the criminals, the terrorists, and so forth, in sanctuary cities? Why would somebody enter the country illegally? Well, there's a good reason why. Because they know they belong to one or more categories of aliens who should be excluded. And I read you that list. I told you it was. I didn't read it. I was telling it to you off the top of my head because it's something that was drilled into my head when I went to Border Patrol Academy. I hate to tell you how many, many years ago, because back then, everybody who worked for the INS who was given a badge went to Border Patrol Academy, which is good news, bad news. And that's a story for another day. There's a lot more immigration law enforcement than the Mexican border. That's the bottom line. Nearly half of all illegal aliens don't run the Mexican border. They come through ports of entry and violate the terms of their admission. And then we have a Canadian border, and we have 95,000 miles of coastline. But this emphasis on the Mexican border, and even with all the drugs pouring across the border, and they just wrote an article for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I hope it will be published in the next couple of days about the increase, drastic increase, I mean, terrible increase in fatalities due to opiate overdoses, people dying of drug poisoning, most of the drugs coming across the Mexican border. I mean, it's flowing into airports and seaports, the Canadian border, absolutely. But a big source is the Mexican border. And if you look at the number of people who are dying, why in the world are we legalizing marijuana across the United States when everyone knows it's a gateway drug for the, for, for the harder stuff, for heroin, for meth, and so forth? You know, uh, granted, not everyone who smokes pot is going to use the hard drugs. But I could tell you, having spent half my 30-year career with the INS, with the Drug Task Force, or with a stint at DEA Unified Intelligence, I don't think I ever met anybody who was hooked on the hard drugs who did not start with marijuana. And, and you know, I, and I don't want to make a joke of this, but when I hear recreational drugs, I freak out. When I think recreation, I think tennis or golf or, or bowling or swimming or, or, or marathon running. Those are recreation. Stamp collecting is recreation, Okay. Reading a good novel, that's part of recreation. Getting stoned in recreation in the same sentence, this is madness. I understand medicinal marijuana. I understand that there are chemicals in it that might be helpful for certain situations. That's fine. If someone's dying of cancer, if there's extracts in marijuana that can be used for glaucoma or whatever, I don't have a problem with it. But the idea of encouraging people to get stoned, and what's remarkable, if you read the studies, the states that have legalized marijuana are now, not shockingly, in fact, you would expect it, experiencing a rise in automobile crashes because people are driving stoned. So with all the talk about don't drive and drink, we have people driving and smoking. And people are getting hurt and people are getting killed and property is being damaged, but it's okay because we're going to legalize pot and we're going to get revenue out of it. And no one seems to care about the morality of what we're doing. Certainly the politicians who are moral are few and far between. We have a serious problem. And you have the Democrats calling for the end to ICE, the end to the enforcement of our immigration laws, because we're a welcoming country. I'm sure those politicians sleep with their doors open at night. Can you imagine? But meanwhile... (laughs) While, while we're, we're told that this is a, a normal situation because we're a welcoming country, um, we have the Republicans disagreeing and saying, oh, no, 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 we have to be careful who we're letting in. But how many ICE agents do we have? Oh, about 6,000. And how many of them are doing immigration work? Maybe half. So now we've got 3,000 ICE agents for the entire United States of America. So how effective can they be? New York City, to put it in perspective, has 37,000 police officers. The last time I read the statistic, TSA, 
had 45,000 people. The mission of the military is very similar to the mission of DHS. I often think of DHS as backing up the military. The military's primary mission is to keep our enemies as far from us as possible. Up close and in person, that job falls to DHS, whether it's the Border Patrol, whether it's ICE, whether it's the inspectors at the ports of entry, a job that I did, by the way. I was also an inspector when I began my career. So we have well over a million men and women in America's armed forces doing incredible heroic, brave work for America, dedicated, dedicated Americans, unbelievable. Total act of selflessness, over a million. But up close and in person, we've got about 3,000 ICE agents. The likelihood that an illegal alien is going to get found and deported in the United States today is probably smaller than the likelihood that that same illegal alien goes out and buys a winning lottery ticket. Do we really have immigration enforcement? Absolutely not. This is all part of the Kabuki theater, the magic act. We're going to create the illusions because the politicians know what Americans want. Secure borders. Would you get on an airplane with an undocumented passenger? Of course not. You'd freak out. If you saw people evading the TSA scanning devices and you saw them on your airplane, half the people on that plane would run for the exit and say, get me out of here. Why, then, are we living among millions of people who did the same thing when they entered the United States? And and understand what's happening with the caravan and understand that the president is properly upset about it. This is something I was going to talk about last week, but because I messed up the computer, I only had a 15-minute program last week. So I want to talk a little bit about the caravan, which is what I would have spoken about last week. And I've written some articles about it, again, over at Front Page Magazine. Uh, last week was a tough week. I went to the wake of an agent that I worked with when he was fresh out of the academy. And um, he died because he had worked at Ground Zero and was searching for human remains, initially searching for victims. Uh, and his exposure to toxins cost him his life. So it was a tough week last week, and I had all these distractions. Forgive me, I messed up the computer, but not this week. And it was remarkable to me that I was on a program on a, on a, uh, on a startup network, I-24 News, uh, that's based out of uh, Tel Aviv, and they're expanding here in the United States. And I was on with, with Michelle, very, very good journalist. And we were talking about the president and about the concerns that he has. And, and so think about this. You had those women on The View calling the president a liar. What does he know? How in the world could he say that these aren't all poor people who are starving? I listened to Bill Maher, and I I wanted to wretch. The same deal. The president is a liar. He tells 5,000 lies, I don't know, an hour, a minute. This is the fable. Everything that's wrong in the world is President Trump. And I don't always agree with the president. We should never agree with anybody 100%. I believe Ed Koch, New York's mayor, who I thought was a great mayor, but I disagreed with him on stuff said that if people agreed with him, I think he said 80% of the time he was happy. If they agreed with him more than 80% of the time, they needed psychiatric treatment. You know, but these women on The View and Bill Maher, the president's a liar. These are poor people. They're starving to death. They just want to come to America basically for a meal and a better life. They ignore something that the media also ignored. The president gets a daily briefing. And during the daily briefing, all of the intelligence services provide the president with intelligence, with what they have come up with, the dangers to America, the risks that we face, things that he, as the commander in chief of not only armed forces, but law enforcement for the federal agents must act upon or should at least consider in ordering up what he wants done. And it's interesting because just before Jeff Sessions left, which just happened, and I know Jeff Sessions, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed about how that whole deal played out, but that's, again, a story for another day. But they came up with a new task force to target the major drug trafficking organizations in Latin America. But number five on the list, or it was buried in this list of five. I don't, it wasn't number five. It was somewhere in the middle, believe it or not, was Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization sponsored by Iran. And I've written about this extensively. I've spoken about it before. 
I have no hard evidence, but it would not shock me to find out that Iran or its surrogates are playing at least a role in organizing and funding the caravan headed north. This is dangerous. And the president had stated that he had information that there were gang members in that caravan, which I I fully agree with. In fact, I was on another program with a terrific young lady, Dana Loesch. I love being on Dana's show on NRA TV. Her program is called Relentless. You should check it out because she's fabulous. And so Dana ran a video before my segment started. And the video was some guy in the caravan. And when they asked him, he was from Latin America, why are you going to America? His answer blew me away. I was sitting there listening to this, preparing to go live via Skype. And this guy actually said in Spanish, there was a translator there, that he was coming to the United States to seek a pardon because he had been convicted and deported for attempted murder in the third degree. Stop and think about it. You've got a guy in the caravan who says he's coming to America looking for a pardon because he was convicted of attempted murder in the third degree, and he wants a pardon. There's another woman who was quoted, I believe, NBC News, who said that she owned a a store back home in Latin America, but she's heading to America because she can't pay her bills. And by the way, she was previously deported. If you were deported and come back without permission, you're committing a felony. It carries a maximum of two years in jail if you have no criminal history. It can carry a maximum of 20 years in jail if you do have a criminal history. I worked with Senator Aldamato back in the 80s to create that law. So here we have a couple of cases right off the bat, a woman who was previously deported, reentering, apparently looking to do so illegally, and you don't apply for permission by running the border or by walking into a port of entry and saying, hi, I was deported, I'm back. Because if you do that, you will get arrested, you will find yourself in jail, and you can find yourself being arraigned and charged criminally with unlawful reentry. You're supposed to apply from your home country after we deport you. They don't have the right to be here. And, and, and we're talking about thousands of people. And if you look at the articles that I've written where there have been a succession of congressional hearings focusing on how Iran, through Hezbollah, Hamas, and its Quds forces the shock troops that are flying routinely into Venezuela, that um, those terror groups and so forth are working in close conjunction with human traffickers and drug trafficking organizations throughout Latin America to flood America with drugs. They get the money, and they also do incredible damage to America and American lives. People are dying of overdoses. People are losing their futures because they become hooked and they wind up in jail. They wind up with all kinds of problems. Their families are devastated by all that's happening. This is like setting off a a mass casualty event in America in slow motion. That's what drug addiction does to America. And I I just saw an article, and I don't know if it's true. I just, it was a blurb that came across a little while ago that the Mexican government is going to legalize the growing of poppy. I don't know if it's true. I hope it's not true, but think about what all this means. When you hook the population of a country on narcotics, you're destroying them. It is truly a weapon of mass destruction. So we have Iran involved in the drug trade, involved in human smuggling. We have thousands of folks from all over the world massing in Latin America heading north. And what was remarkable is when I was on I-24 News, this was interesting, I was debating an immigration lawyer, and you would think, oh, here we go, another one of those food fights. It wasn't. I was very impressed. I'm sorry I don't have the gentleman's name. But what he said was this. I'm an immigration lawyer, and I try to help immigrants. But who in the world is responsible for organizing thousands of people and having them march north towards the United States? He said, this is a threat to national security, and we need to know who's behind it. Now, that's an immigration lawyer, and this is supposed to be a debate, but he had to admit that this is inherently dangerous. But yet the bovine's on the view. And I don't know any other way of describing them, because I've had it. You're in front of television cameras. You bear responsibility. You bear the responsibility of being honest and being reasonable and being rational. 
And all they could think of doing is attacking the president. I don't care if they don't like President Trump. They don't have to. I didn't like President Obama. But I would never say the things that these folks say on television. And I wouldn't mislead the American people the way that they are. Because unfortunately, Americans can be awfully dumb. When they see something on TV, they automatically think it has to be true. I heard it on television. They don't have access to the the president's daily brief. And they apparently didn't bother to do their research about those successions of hearings that have been conducted in Congress about how Hezbollah is operating throughout Latin America and moving drugs and people into the United States. Folks, this is such a serious threat to national security, such a serious threat to public safety. And there's been a succession of experts who have been brought in by both parties at these hearings warning about what's happening in Latin America with Iran, the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay for decades, has been home to terror training camps being run by Hamas and Hezbollah, probably ISIS and Al-Qaeda. There was a a case reported on by the Justice Department, and I wrote an article on the front page about it just about a year or two ago, about a Pakistani who went to Latin America. He was an alien smuggler. And where did he set up shop? In Brazil. And he got himself lawful immigrant status, the equivalent of that, in Brazil, and was moving men from the Middle East terrorist sponsoring countries through Brazil into the United States. Now, there was nothing that showed that these people went through the terror training camps, but why Brazil? Why Brazil? And these people were spending thousands upon thousands of dollars for the services that this guy who ran a smuggling operation through Latin America were, were offering. Who from the third world can afford to spend five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 on a smuggler? And they're coming from a hotspot where terrorism flourishes, and he's bringing them through Brazil. What could possibly go wrong? Why do you suspect that that's not what we're seeing in those massive numbers of of those so-called caravans? And so the president wanted to air a commercial. And I just wrote about this for Front Page. And my, uh, my article was Establishment Media, Nixon's Trump ad about dangerous caravan. And then the subtitle, is there really no difference between a house guest and a burglar? My editor uh, borrowed a phrase that I used in my article, and it's an analogy that I've been using for quite some time. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. And the media would not run the president's ad. Fox News reportedly ran it and then pulled it. And what was the problem with the ad? They said, well, it shows a bias against Latinos. Well, I watched the commercial. The link is there. Watch it. Watch it. Don't take my word. Never take my word for anything. Fact check everybody. Fact check everybody. You're not going to insult me. I'm happy when people fact check me. I was on a a very conservative program in in New Hampshire years ago. And what was so remarkable, uh, PolitiFact fact checked me. And they're very, very liberal. And they came back and gave me 100% honesty rating. I thought that was kind of fun. Because I'm not going to BS you. That's not how I operate. Either I have the facts or I don't. That's how I did my job as an agent, and that's how I do what has become my job since 9-11, trying to inform as many of our fellow Americans and our alleged leaders as I can possibly inform, because we are in a dangerous situation, an extremely dangerous situation, a situation that costs people's lives virtually every day, one way or the other. And, and so if, if you stop and understand the threat that we face, The president says this is a dangerous caravan. The commercial starts out saying there's 7,000, and the media took issue with that number. Again, I'd like to know who's doing the counting for them. The president said 7,000. If he's off, so be it. We've been hearing 11 million illegal aliens forever, and then along comes Harvard and MIT, and they said, you know, there might be twice as many. I would argue three or four times as many, but even there they said, gee, the problem is a lot bigger than anybody realized. So we have the president saying 7,000. Make of it what you will. And then he shows the video of this piece of trash, human detritus, subhuman, uh, big, bald, fat, disgusting-looking piece of trash who is uh, being prosecuted for the cold-blooded shooting death of two police officers out on the West Coast. And there he is in court laughing and saying, 
I only wish I got to kill more of them. Think about it. So the president says, this is the risk. We have people headed for the border. We have a problem with criminals coming to the United States from Latin America. Vote for the Republicans and we'll stop the caravan. That was the commercial. It was race baiting. It was terrible. It's discriminatory. It's racism. It's hate mongering. The guy that made the statement is the guy who's on trial for killing two cops. He made no bones about it. He's not saying I didn't do it. You're confusing me with someone else. He said, yes, I did it. And I should have killed more. That's fact. They didn't get an actor to fill in for the guy. They showed the actual video from the courtroom. So it's factually accurate. You have the image of the caravan. As I've told you, I know of at least a couple who were interviewed. Uh, one said that he tried to kill somebody. Try, didn't succeed. He's looking for a pardon. A woman who was deported, she's coming back. There was another guy who said that he had a criminal history, but he didn't care because he was determined to come to America and make more money. By the way, that's not why you give people political asylum. And the president is now saying, we're going to stop this nonsense. There was an interesting piece, I believe it was Jeff Sessions who had written it, that over, if I have the number wrong, somebody let me know, but I believe that 80% of the people claiming asylum are not getting asylum. These are spurious claims. They're nonsense. They're fatuous. They're BS. And you can see it. I'm coming to America because my husband beat me up. That's not what political asylum is about. I'm coming to America because I don't have any money. It's not about economic refugees. I'm coming to America because there's gangs in my home country. Well, that's not what it's about. So what the president has said is, I'm going to invoke the same law just came out that was involved with what is improperly called the travel ban. I call it an entry restriction. The people from those countries that could not be vetted. He's saying, look, if you're going to swarm the border, if you're going to do this sort of thing, we're not going to entertain your application for asylum. You're overwhelming the system. We can't protect Americans. What a novel thought. You have a president saying we need to protect Americans, and you have the news media saying this is racist. Now, here's the interesting backdrop if you haven't been following the news. I don't know if you're familiar with an individual by the name of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, but this guy, El Chapo, was the alleged leader of the Sinaloa drug cartel in Mexico, arguably the most violent and pernicious of all of the drug cartels in Mexico. He is allegedly responsible for countless murders, for the importation, again, these are allegations, of 200 tons of cocaine and other narcotics into the United States, and he's on trial in Brooklyn, New York, in the Eastern District of New York. Isn't it remarkable that the hub for the Sinaloa cartel's narcotics trafficking on the East Coast is the city that has the biggest, best equipped, best trained, most sophisticated police department, New York City. That's where they set up shop. Now stop and ask yourself, if you are running a drug ring, would you think to set up shop in the city, in the country that has the biggest, most sophisticated, well-trained, and well-equipped police department. Because that's what the NYPD is. Uh, I sometimes like to describe it as a small army, which is what it is. I've had the privilege of working with members of the NYPD. And I will tell you, they are terrific, and they have equipment that most police departments could only dream about. They even send their detectives around the world because after 9-11, the concern was that the CIA wasn't sharing information with the NYPD. And clearly, New York is the primary target for these dirtbag terrorists. So why would you set up shop in New York City? Well, New York City has airports, seaports. Um, Northern New York State has access to Canada. So, you know, New York is a, is a, is a border state, going back to something I said at the beginning of the hour. But beyond being a border state, New York has sanctuary policies. We have a mayor who has given hundreds of thousands of individuals municipal identity documents without being able to verify who the hell they are. What a perfect setup for the bad guys. Because they need to operate seamlessly in New York, irrespective of their immigration status. And they want to know that even if they're arrested by the cops, the cops aren't going to be able to tell the police, tell immigration about it. 
It spares them the potential for being deported. That's huge. That's monstrously huge. And we do this nonsense. And in fact, Ed Koch started this or followed up on sanctuary policy that, to my recollection, was begun by David Dinkins. And it cost at least one police officer his life. I testified at the murder trial. I had physically deported an alien by the name of Ronaldo Rayside, a Panamanian drug dealer. He lost his green card because of drug convictions and convictions for violent crime. He came back to the United States, was encountered by Officer Machadi. He was a 24-year-old cop. His wife was pregnant. He went for Machadi's gun. Bullets flew at a street corner in Brooklyn. Officer Machadi died on that street corner. I testified at the murder trial. I am convinced that a big reason why this all happened, that we're, we're attracting criminals to places like New York and San Francisco. Think of the Kate Stiley murder, and there are others. When you create sanctuary policies, you assure the illegal aliens and the criminals among them that even if you're arrested by the cops, immigration won't know about you. So you'll do your time. You'll be back out on the street. Nothing to see here. Keep on moving. That's what we're doing. Undermining public safety and national security because there's an overriding bigger issue. And the issue is flood America with cheap, exploitable foreign labor because because the immigration system is a delivery system. And hobbled as it is by a lack of resources and people, the mayors of sanctuary cities make no bones about it. They want to destroy ICE completely. They don't want anybody deported. They don't care if the person is a rapist, a child molester, a murderer. An arsonist doesn't matter. Don't deport them. We want them to stay here. We are a welcoming country. We welcome criminals and sexual deviates, rapists, terrorists. Come on down. This is like the price is right. Come on down. And the price is right because the globalists that want this are paying huge amounts of money into campaign coffers to get the best government money can buy. So when the president said, I'll protect America from the caravan, and I've called it an impending invasion. And I make no bones about it. If I anger somebody, good for you. Go home angry. Suck your thumb. We have an orderly process. We admit tens of millions of foreign visitors into the United States every year, and we're very lax in that program because nearly half of all illegal aliens were admitted, and then they violate the terms of their admission. So how tough are we making it? for aspiring illegal aliens sent to the United States. It's kind of like taking candy from a baby and that baby's asleep. So we're not tough enough and we're letting everybody in. So it's not as though you can't get in. We make it super easy, but that's not good enough for the open borders crowd. They don't want borders. Now, the only problem is without borders, you can't defend the country. I really don't think these politicians go to sleep at night with open doors. I'd love to see their house with open doors, open windows, maybe no doors at all. What the hey? Especially in the summertime, who needs a stinking door? Believe me, they sleep not only with with locked doors, but with armed security. But America, that's another story. Take down the barriers, let everybody in, and whoever dies, dies. Hey, collateral damage, you know, we drum up business for the funeral homes is probably what they're thinking. As long as the Chamber of Commerce and these other globalist organizations are more concerned with headcounts on airplanes and headcounts in baseball parks and movie theaters and all these other attractions than they are with body counts in the morgue, nothing is going to change. As long as America is happy to fire Americans and destroy the middle class, By bringing in foreign high-tech workers, nothing is going to change. We bring in Chinese students, teach them how to be engineers and computer programmers. They build their military. They threaten us with their military. They hack our computers, and we train their programmers. Does it get dumber than that? Does it get dumber than that? Our country is being run by people who hate America and Americans who would much rather see Americans unemployed and living homelessly, and homeless rates are up, than taking care of their own citizens. And if you dare suggest to them that we ought to put American citizens ahead of citizens from other countries, just as parents take care of their own children before they worry about the children of other families, you're going to be verbally attacked and viciously attacked. Nativist, racist, 
xenophobe, and the list goes on. Now, understand that the poverty levels are the greatest among America's minority people. The minority communities are getting hammered the worst. So this isn't about race. But if you dare to suggest that a country should look out for its own citizens, boy, oh boy, fasten your seatbelt because you're going to hit bumpy roads. You're going to be accused of everything under the sun. And this ad that the president ran didn't say anything specifically about any race or any ethnicity, just made the point that there are people looking to come to America and they need to be stopped. And he's right. If you see a mob charging your neighborhood, you're going to call the police and say, there's a mob headed this way. Do something. Do something. So when the president says we need to protect America, his ad gets taken off the air. Now, I don't know the last time that a president tried to run an ad and the media, from all perspectives, said, no, we're not going to run the ad. Too bad. We don't like it. You're not getting it. This is censorship. This is not what the First Amendment is about. And, and, and the, the, the trick that they use is they deem something that they don't want you to hear hate speech. It may not be hate speech, but when they label it hate speech, they now have a license Take it off the air because it's hate speech. Alan Dershowitz, who happens to be, in my judgment, a a brilliant constitutional lawyer and a professor, uh, I had the distinct privilege of listening to Dershowitz many years ago. My first wife's parents, uh, may they rest in peace, were in the Holocaust. My mother-in-law was in a concentration camp. My father-in-law back then lost his family to the Nazis. I I lost a big bunch of my relatives to the Nazis as well. I was named for my mother's mother who was killed in Poland by those SOBs. But every year they would get invited to the Holocaust Memorial Service at Temple Emanuel in Manhattan, which is the equivalent of St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's it's a beautiful synagogue. In fact, uh, my my wife and I, my current wife, we, we were married and the rabbis study at Temple Emanuel. It's an incredibly beautiful building in Manhattan near Central Park. And Alan Dershowitz spoke, and I could have listened to him all day. But recently, what Dershowitz talked about was the First Amendment and this idea about hate speech and how it's being used to censor people. Whatever happened to the notion of I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it? Even if you have someone spewing utter nonsense, sometimes there's some good that comes from that because then you can listen to how somebody really believes because you're hearing it come out of their own mouth, you know, out of the horse's mouth or maybe the horse's rear end. And you say, wow, this guy is certifiable. I want nothing to do with them. In some ways, that's the way you protect us from the crazies. Let them go out there and make a strong case to prove to the world just how nuts and hate-filled and bigoted they are. But when you label someone hate speech, and then you stop them from being heard, nobody even understands what we're dealing with. And then you get to use that label to stop everything and anything that you don't want out there in the public domain. Think how dangerous that is to democracy. The founding fathers understood just how important freedom of expression is to the democratic process. That's why it's the First Amendment. It's being abridged. I've done debates on college campuses across the United States, but not for years. I've been to Yale Law School, Columbia Law, Columbia Graduate School of Journalism, NYU, Chapman, um, Central Washington, outside Seattle. I've been all over the place. No more. Debate is being stifled. And that scares me, and it should scare you. It reminds me of the book burnings when the Holocaust began. Shut down discourse. Shut down free speech. Some unseen puppet master will decide what you can and cannot hear. And we're seeing it with the Internet. We're seeing it with Facebook. We're seeing it on college campuses. We're seeing it with Antifa. Instead of saying, this is America. We're adults. We can listen to people and then decide for ourselves that what this guy is spewing is venom. Get him out of here. He's terrible. They don't want that opportunity. They just want to be able to control the message. That's why when there's a revolution, folks, 
the revolutionaries who overthrow a government. They stage a coup d'etat. The first things that they seize after they gain control of the airport to make sure no one comes in from behind them to stop them is they take control of the newspapers, radio, and television, the means of communication. 1984, the Ministry of Truth. You control thought by controlling words because human beings think with words. If you can control the words that people have, then you can control the thoughts. So, so let me give you an example. And I used this on a radio show earlier this week, and it, it kind of went over pretty well. Let's see how it works for you. The word alien has been all but stricken from the immigration debate, except for the DREAM Act. And people have forgotten that it's really an acronym. And the A in DREAM Act is alien, as in alien minors. Isn't it remarkable? This terrible word alien, when they were supposed to speak, was acceptable because it linked to the DREAM Act and it furthered this, this bogus narrative. But let, let's play a game and, and let's make believe, let's just pretend that the powers that be have decided that the word burglar is a terrible word. It's just not nice. It's almost as disgusting as alien. Wink, wink. Okay. So we will now eliminate the word burglar the way they've done with the word alien. So if someone is in your house, they're a guest. Just like any foreign national in America is called an immigrant. So anybody who walks into your house, breaks into your house, gains access to your house, we're going to call them a guest. Now, if the guy got in or the gal got in without permission, we will call him an uninvited guest versus an invited guest or guest for short. So let's say, God forbid, you come home from a long day at work. You walk into your house, and there's a couple of people hanging out in your living room, except you didn't invite them in, and you didn't let them in, but there they are. They're sipping your wine, and they're watching your big screen TV, and you quickly run out of the house. You pick up your phone, and you call the police. Now, the police say, what's the emergency? Now, the word burglar doesn't exist anymore. You have to call them guest. So you say to the police, officer, come quick. I have two guests sitting in my living room drinking wine. And the cop says to you, is that a problem? This is what we're doing with language. By eliminating the words, you eliminate the thoughts that the words represent. If you can convince people that anybody who walks into your house is to be called a guest, just the way that anybody who gets into the United States, no matter the circumstances, is is labeled an immigrant, look how you've altered the perception the caravan of migrants, really. And the media dutifully reports that these are citizens from Honduras and El Salvador looking for a better life. Some might be. Are they all? We have no idea. But go back to what I wrote in my article and consider that you may well have people from the Middle East who are terrorists among the group, which isn't a stretch. What you may have forgotten, because the news comes at us and the news cycle just keeps on going, around the time of the midterm election for Obama, after he was in office for four years, there was a story that some Iranian Quds forces, shock troops, were were in the United States. Apparently, they came through the Mexican border, and their mission was to blow up the, uh, I think it was the Saudi embassy, kill the Saudi ambassador, possibly blow up the Israeli embassy. They were stopped, fortunately, but they came out of Latin America and they were hooked into Iran. This is what we're dealing with now. Uh, Again, we know from all these hearings that the Iranian Hezbollah groups and Hamas and the Quds forces are operating throughout Latin America, destabilizing governments, not my words, the words of the witnesses at these hearings, working in close coordination with human trafficking and drug smuggling organizations to flood America with aliens and drugs. So how far a stretch is it to say, you know, this could be something that's being aided, abetted, organized, and encouraged by Iran. But that's not what you're hearing in the media. What the media keeps harping on is these immigrants and migrants from Honduras and El Salvador. And you think, people coming from a third world country, what could be wrong? Well, by the way, when we had the unaccompanied minors flooding into America, among them were members of MS-13. MS-13 was a relatively small problem back 
25 years ago. Today, MS-13 can be found in 40 states across America because of the unaccompanied minors. How in the world is it a matter of bigotry to say, let's keep criminals out of America? That's all that the concern is here. And yes, I, I understand that President Trump sometimes doesn't use the best language possible, doesn't understand nuance. Uh, sometimes he's too much of a blunt instrument. And I've got my degree in communications. And, and, and he gives me more gray hair and more white hair. And maybe some of my hair will be popping out of my scalp altogether. He needs to use better language. But forget the language. The threat is real. And the flood of drugs into the United States is real. And the opiate overdoses are real. And the fact that we have El Chapo on trial in Brooklyn, and here's the real kicker. Security is so tight that they have to shut down all or part of the Brooklyn Bridge when they move him from his jail cell in Manhattan to the courtroom in Brooklyn. And the names of the jurors is being kept secret for fear that his hitmen, known as Sicarios, are already in the United States and will try to intimidate or kill the jurors in Brooklyn. So the president says, we got to be careful. We have a dangerous situation. And the media goes after the president for wanting to protect American people. That's the lunacy, folks. That's the lunacy. And, and you have these people sitting on the throne of the television set, the studios. <laughs> Joey Behar, genius of the 20th century or 21st century. Bill Maher, the president's a damn liar. These are poor people, but he's too rich. He doesn't care about poor people. I don't know whether he cares about or relates to poor people, but damn it, that's not what we're talking about. But the immediate thing is he's a liar. Never mind his daily briefing. Never mind congressional hearing after congressional hearing after congressional hearing. Just accuse the president of being a liar and be done with it. And that's the tactic of choice. You accuse the president of being a liar. You refer to the people headed for the United States to swarm the border as a caravan of migrants looking for a better life. You ignore the fact that when they hit the border with Mexico, a bunch of cops were badly injured. These people were throwing bricks and rocks and stones. There were reports that some of them had weapons. And the president initially said, looking out for the safety of our people, if someone throws a rock, think of that rock as a rifle. And people got all bent out of shape. But I'll tell you, in the Bible, people were killed by being stoned. If someone throws a, a heavy enough rock at your head, they can kill you. I don't know that the solution is a rifle, but goodness. These aren't balloons that they're throwing, you know? These aren't water balloons. We're talking about rocks. We're talking about weapons, possibly knives. So the president tells the people that he's in command of, protect yourself. Oh, look at the president. He wants to have bloodshed. The president is simply looking out for America and Americans. But go back to the self-loathing Americans that we're now dealing with. Ted Cruz was out there. For America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Never mind that America has how many hundreds of thousands or more successful, experienced computer programmers being displaced. Both sides of the aisle, with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, with the Council on Foreign Relations, with all the other usual suspects, are doing everything in their power to flood America with cheap, exploitable labor. There's no compassion in that. There's no compassion in driving American families into poverty. There's no compassion in exploiting and abusing foreign workers. And they play the compassion card and Americans say, oh, we've got to take care of these poor people. What about the Americans who've lost their homes to foreclosure, had to take their children out of college? What about the guy that goes to college and runs up a student loan that looks more like a mortgage payment but can't get a job because he's competing with workers from India who think 50000 a year is a decent salary, when for an American it would be three times that amount. It's astonishing. The level of greed, the level of corruption, and the level of foolishness of the American people leave me flabbergasted. You know, I'm so glad you listened to my program. I, I hope I'm thought-provoking. 
But look at what happened in the election and how many people are buying into this fake narrative from the Democrats. And where have the Republicans been? The Republicans had control of the House and the Senate and the White House. No wall, no immigration enforcement. Bob Goodlatte, on his way out the door, immigration lawyer, wanted a 50,000, I believe, increase in the number of H-1B visas. Why? Well, maybe it's because Bob Goodlatte's son, Bobby Goodlatte, is an executive in the computer industry. Got to start with Facebook and Zuckerberg. Both sides of the aisle have a vested interest in destroying the middle class. They're cashing out the country. Both parties. Both parties. Because there's no way you can explain to me why nothing is getting done to protect America or Americans. And my goodness, no one stands up to the media and says, look, we can invite in so many people, but then you become oversubscribed. If you throw a party, you can't have the world come into your house. And by the way, if you're a wedding crasher or a party crasher, you can call the police and arrest the people. People don't have the right to come to the party without a ticket. You don't get on an airplane without a ticket. You don't go to the movies without a ticket. You don't get into the sports stadium without a ticket. But if you require a ticket, a foreign national seeking entry into the United States, you're a xenophobe and a racist and a hater. Think of how astonishing this is. Think about how we would never make those statements about any other circumstance where people were looking to gain entry into a place that has finite walls, borders, doors, and so forth. Chuck Schumer has said that trespassing is dangerous, and anybody who would trespass on critical infrastructure, anyone who would trespass on a national landmark should be going to jail for five years under a federal law that he wanted to write. Trespassing is dangerous. He's right. You have aspiring trespassers charging towards the United States. And when the president says we can't allow this, look at the reaction. Look at how the media won't allow the ad to run. You know, usually they run an ad and they say, you know, statements made in the commercial don't necessarily reflect the views of management that, you know, radio station, whatever, television station, whatever. No, no. They flat out said, we will not run your ad, and we don't care that you're the president, and we don't care that you're concerned about national security, because as far as we're concerned, if you're worried about national security, you're a xenophobe, you're a racist, you're a bigot. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. A few years ago, if somebody would have told me that our country would be this corrupt, this foolish, I wouldn't have believed them. I wouldn't have believed them. This is like a bad movie, but it's not a movie. It's reality. And somewhere along the line, the American people need to stand up and get their voices heard. You know, when we go to a restaurant, we're extremely specific about the food that we want to eat and the way that we want the food prepared. It's not enough that you vote. And by the way, look at the choices you get most of the time. Cancer or a heart attack, heads they win, tails we lose. The solution is for us to get involved early on, like starting tomorrow morning. Get your voice heard. Let the politicians come to understand that we, the people, are not as stupid as they had been hoping we are. Think it through. Talk to your neighbors. And please, folks, remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. It is critical, super critical, that we, the people, take part in our own government, not just for ourselves, but for our children and for their children as well. That's the job all Americans must do because democracy is not a spectator sport. Um, Next week, I expect my program will also be broadcast on Thursday. I have a reunion of agents to go to, so we're excited about that. But I certainly want to make certain to provide you with all the information that I could possibly provide you with. And that, of course, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is the purpose for this program. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and neighbors about my show and be part of my bucket brigade of truth. So long.